Welcome, everyone, to the PFF Fantasy Podcast. I am your host, John Macri, fantasy analyst here at PFF, and I am joined by PFF's lead fantasy analyst, who definitely missed me since our last podcast on Wednesday. Uh, he is the one and only Nathan Yonke. Nate, preseason's done. You got to feel pretty good for week one right now, right? Oh, yeah. Preseason's done. It's out of the way at this point. We had all of the games. It was a little bit disappointing this past week seeing so many teams set their starters and not just starters, but second team guys too. So you see who's the starting lineup is and it's like, okay, here are the guys that'll be getting cut today and tomorrow. But there were definitely some games that were good. And now we are at like 10 days until the regular season. So peak fantasy draft season, have plenty of drafts lined up, uh, plenty of content lined up to go for the rest of this week and early next week. So um, it's the busy time right now. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely crazy right now. And yeah, the preseason, like the last few games, it, it doesn't help that there's these 90 man rosters either. So they're pretty much just like we need to get a look at all of these guys. We don't really care about our starters. So there's just more opportunity for us to, to watch backups than than anything else. But yeah, it's it's nice. This is this is a pretty busy time of year. Obviously, it's the most probably the most um, common draft week of the year or at least heading into the weekend. Um before the season here so this is uh exciting times like i said preseason week three is is wrapped it ended with uh the texans and the saints last night so any usage let, let's talk just maybe just about that game before we get into like our our 10 takeaways but anything stand out in that it for you in that game with between houston and new orleans that was particularly interesting for a fantasy standpoint well, yeah, for me, the biggest thing was probably Dalton Schultz and how they used him. And we've seen the Texans use their starters all three games. So this was more or less a continuation of what we've seen the first two weeks of the preseason. And that's Houston uh, rotating their tight ends using Schultz and 11 personnel and then a little bit in 12 personnel, but not a lot in other personnel groupings. So probably won't be running as many routes as he was in Dallas. And then probably the biggest thing is once Houston got close to the red zone, once they were within 10 yards of scoring, uh, they were using some 21 personnel and those kind of, per or I guess 12 personnel package. They have some hybrid tight end fallback players, but um, just two tight ends that were on the field that were not Schultz. And they did the same thing last week where they had four plays within 10 yards of scoring, uh, two plays with Schultz on the field, two plays with him off the field, and then this week, two weeks with him off the field. So his big thing in Dallas is he was consistent at scoring a lot of touchdowns, and that's really important for fantasy tight ends. And if Houston's not going to be using him when they're close to scoring touchdowns, that's a big problem considering we were already worried about Houston and how much they were going to be scoring in general. So the lower rot participation will hurt him a little bit, but I think those lack of red zone usage is going to hurt him even more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The usage was, it was already like kind of a concern in the prior preseason game with him. Right. But now that we got like multiple games, seemingly kind of confirming, confirming that, potentially limited usage. I, I know I've moved him down um, in my rankings as well. I, I think I moved him from tier four to tier five. Um, basically just, I was kind of already looking for more reasons to be out on him this year, especially with like maybe some of the higher upside options like the Chico Conquo and Dalton Kincaid and Sam Laporta, even like Luke Musgrave, all kind of going later, but some of them within that same kind of range. Right. And it, it, I think it just makes it easier for me to pass on Schultz and drafts right now, just where he was going he, a lot of the times within the top 12 tight ends or so. So yeah, it, you know, it, I'm, I'm fine passing on him. If we see that usage kind of trending back up, I guess in the regular season, then maybe a waiver wire claim makes sense for anybody that loves him. I'm just kind of feeling meh on him this year. Yeah, I was just finishing up my tight end sleeper update for tomorrow, and you just listed four of the five sleepers in that article, <laughs> just back to back to back to back. I love it. Yeah, this, these are some of the, the the best players, I think, to target. After you get like a, a set starting tight end, whoever it ends up being in that top eight or so, or nine even, um, yeah, the, I love just grabbing like a, a Laporta or Musgrave. And yeah, we've talked about them a, a bunch on this podcast, but excited about what those guys could potentially be. Right. So um, 
All right, let's go into some of the news. We got some news from uh, last time we recorded. The biggest piece of news probably being that Josh Jacobs is officially back with the Las Vegas Raiders, set to be their RB1 for the season. He agreed to a one-year $12 million deal. So at the very least, this puts him back in line to start week one. He's wearing a, no a new number as well. He's, he's uh, number eight now, not number 28. So whatever uh, stock you want to put into that. But he, he was kind of sitting like almost on the fringes of top 10 for me, just because of that risk that he probably, that he might continue the holdout into the regular season, but very comfortable, obviously with him um, in that, inside that top 10. Now I think I'm at, I have him as RB seven. So behind Pollard Chubb and Saquon Barkley, um, those were four five and six for me, but how about you? Any movement in your rankings with the, the Jacobs holdout ending? Yeah, that's basically where I have him now as well. I had slowly but surely moved him down a spot or two over these past couple of weeks. So now just basically moved him back to where he was before all of this hold up stuff. So still fairly happy to get him. The only concern is how much he's going to be running the ball this year, just because he was at such an absurdly high run rate last year compared to all the other running backs in the league and what we've seen over the past couple of years out of running backs. So it's hard to imagine him running the ball quite as much as he was last year, but even cutting back a little bit still puts him clearly in the top 10 fantasy running backs this year. Mm -hmm. For sure. Um, all right, a couple other pieces of news here. Uh, one of them being that CJ Stroud was named the official week one starter for the Houston Texans. So um, I, I don't know that this was completely unexpected. Was there any doubt for you that Stroud um, would be the starter for week one? Uh, no doubt that Houston was starting Stroud every preseason game with all of the starters and took him and the starters out at the same time. So it was pretty clear that he was going to get it. But good to see him and the other first round quarterbacks all starting to start this season. So we won't have those controversies of, OK, when are they finally going to start? We won't have those storylines now. Those are all out of the way and we have the rookies starting. Yeah, other than in Arizona where Clayton Toon, somebody's going to be banging the table to get him out there. <laughs> um but yeah, most leagues, I, I don't, you're not, you're probably not starting CJ Stroud week one, um, you know, outside of Superflex, most likely, which is, it's at least a good sign that he's going to get out there, like you said, and, and he's been working with those first team offense the entire time. So nice to have that practice time in with the starters already. So hopefully he can transition a little bit more smoothly here into the, the first week of the regular season. Um, outside of that, in Denver, um, who are See, wide receivers kind of dropping like flies over there. Kendall Hinton was just cut, um, and it looks like potentially little Jordan Humphrey may be getting the start uh, in the slot this year. What did what did you see from uh, Denver? Uh, yeah, he's been used in the slot a lot throughout the preseason. Jerry Judy supposed to be the slot receiver, but with his injury, he'll likely at least be out week one. It's kind of hard to tell at this point exactly how long he will be out, but Humphrey, I think, will take that slot position. He's been the other one, along with Hinton, who have played significantly in the slot this preseason. And with Hinton gone, uh, Humphrey was also playing ahead of Hinton, so it's not all that surprising. So uh, Mims has been playing on the outside, even though we thought maybe he'd be more of a slot receiver. But even with Judy's injury, Mims stayed on the outside, uh, played in 12 personnel as well. So Mims is really the wide receiver to target here. But uh, Humphrey, someone that if you're... Doing anything with DFS, he might be an interesting place, and so he'll probably fall pretty well under the radar, but he should see significant playing time and some targets in the first week. Yeah, I think that makes sense, right? This is uh, Cortland Sutton, Marvin Mims kind of primary targets, at least while Jer Jerry Judy is out. And yeah, who knows? It doesn't look good for week one right now, just kind of the way that they've been talking about his injury. They've, they've mentioned several weeks, and I, I have a feeling he won't play week one, but I'm basing that just on kind of how they've been talking about it. It doesn't seem great. And yeah, maybe a little Jordan Humphrey, like you said, a DFS player, super deep league, something like that, because Sean Payton as well, like the last couple of seasons that he was with the Saints 2020 and 2021, he, he was below league average and use of 11 personnel so might be even more limited opportunities for for little jordan humphrey there um if you're looking to start him uh, while judy is out but um at least within those top three wide receivers now as these guys continue to fall tim patrick kendall hinton jerry judy so um make it his way up the depth chart by default which is uh good for him uh, all right. And then the last piece or one of the last pieces of news here, we also saw uh, a trade 
with the Cleveland Browns. Um, Pierre Strong from the New England Patriots got traded to Cleveland. What did you think about this one? Did, do you have any concern about Pierre Strong potentially impacting Nick Chubb or Jerome Ford's uh, value this season? I was going to say it can't be the last piece of news because Dustin Hopkins right. also got traded to the Browns right before <laughs> this. So we have some kicker news to talk about too, but uh, Strong with Cleveland, um, it was pretty clear that they were unhappy with their third running back situation in the preseason. Jordan Wilkins went from bottom of the depth chart to the third running back in this last preseason game. And then Wilkins was cut right after the game. So it was kind of clear that Cleveland uh, had a rotation of guys and weren't happy with any of them. So it it's not surprising that they targeted another running back. Uh, not really concerned about Chubb, but I am a little concerned about Ford just because he has missed so much time with injury and they invested in adding someone else rather than just sticking with who they have. So there's a chance that um, he might not be uh, as good of a handcuff option as we previously thought. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. I, I don't think he, you know, poses much of a threat as like a receiver either you know he was he was used as a receiver i think like his final year at uh, south dakota state but a 43.6 receiving grade um in that final year there so not somebody that i think is going to impact chubb um in that uh, on passing downs which we were hoping he would start to absorb with kareem hunt gone so that that's nice to see as well but there there was yeah one other piece of news as well um but Kenyon drake uh, of the indianapolis colts did get cut uh, this week as well. Kenyon Drake, he wasn't starting with the Colts, even with Jonathan Taylor out. So what did you make of the the Colts backfield um, from this preseason? Um, it was a little surprising just because Drake was pretty far down on the depth chart in their first game, which at that point wasn't surprising because he had just signed with the team, uh, was higher up the depth chart in the second game. So it seemed like he was on the trajectory of potentially being among the top three among their healthy running backs. But it was pretty clear this past week that Deion Jackson was the guy, Evan Hull was second. And then once either of the Colts running backs come back, then Drake falls further down the depth chart. So after the game, it was pretty clear that Drake wasn't in their long-term plan. So after the third preseason game, it was not surprising to see him get cut. Yeah. Yeah. It was too bad for him. And, and yeah, I mean, look, Jonathan Taylor still hasn't been traded or reported back, you know, to the, that he's going to be playing with the team week one. So there's potential there for somebody, Deion Jackson or um, Zach Moss. We talked about last week uh, with Kate and, and, you know, if she's listening somewhere, she's smiling and, and pumping her fist for, for the Zach Moss hype train, because it's, it's possible at least that he gets back before week one and, and, and could work his way into that starting role. If, if Jonathan Taylor either gets traded or, um, and they don't get a running back uh, in return, or if he continues to hold out into the season. So, Pretty messy situation in Indianapolis to, to try to sort out, but hopefully we'll have a, a clearer picture before week one. Yeah, hopefully we have a clearer picture tomorrow to see if he gets traded or not. Yeah. So big day tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, looking forward to that for sure. Um, so before we get into like these kind of key takeaways um, from, from the preseason week three, I do want to give a quick shout out to our presenting sponsor, the good folks over at Fabric by Gerber Life. Uh, fall is all about back to school and back to routine checklist. And the most important task on that list should be securing your family's financial future, starting with life insurance. Fabric by Gerber Life makes it quick, easy, and affordable to protect your family so you can get back to enjoying life. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies that fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in just minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You can go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric uh, to protect their family. Apply today in just minutes at meetfabric.com slash fantasy. That's meetfabric.com slash fantasy. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash fantasy. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company, not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, so let's get into the takeaways, the final preseason takeaways of 2023. We'll start at the running back position uh, in Jacksonville, where the continued battle for snaps between Travis Etienne and Tank Bigsby continued this week. Nate, did we get any kind of clear picture from Jacksonville of how they plan to use these guys? Uh, yeah, Bigsby played a significant amount in this game with the starters, took 36% of the snaps. 
Um, they played two long drives with the starters. ETN started both of them, played a couple snaps, and then Bixby would take over for a couple snaps, and then ETN would come back in. Um, a slight preference towards ETN and passing situations as well, which isn't all that surprising, but uh, we saw Bigsby play significantly after the first week of the preseason where he only saw one snap with the starter. So there was this was a significant increase for him and a sign that this could be a bit more of a committee this year than it was for Jacksonville last year. And I know a lot of people are arguing about this on social media and view that ETN uh, shouldn't be talked about negatively unless he loses the starting job. But this still is a pretty big negative for ETN because this means he's only playing uh, 64% of the snaps if this kind of rate continues to start the season where he was typically playing more than that when he was healthy last season. So this is a decrease in value for ETN. It brings the two running backs closer together. And we typically see running backs gain more playing time with the starters as the season progresses. So 36% might be more of a starting point for Bigsby rather than uh, something that'll stay this way the entire year. We might get closer to 60-40, 55-45, and really it was ETN pretty well dominated pass routes, but in terms of rushing, it was close to even, and we could see close to even carries by these two early on in the season, so... Yeah, ETN's definitely the better fantasy back to have at this point, but ETN's getting drafted as a top 12 fantasy back where ETN's getting drafted among the top 50 fantasy backs. So there's a huge difference in ADP right now, which probably should get closer together. So Bigsby is someone that I'm definitely targeting at his ADP and ETN I'm avoiding at his ADP right now because of how close these two are together and how they were used in the preseason. Yeah, I, I'm with you. This is what we, we've kind of talked about all all offseason pretty much, right? And th they've just continued to kind of confirm this into the preseason. And um, uh, just in regards to that ADP, like you said, Travis Etienne going a lot higher than we probably feel comfortable with. And Tank Bigsby could definitely still have some value. And hopefully, like you said, maybe potentially increases workload as the year goes on. But yeah, I could see this being like one of those scenarios where wh whatever side you're on, whether you're team ETN or, or team Bigsby, you can make a case for either one of the guys um, of, from this being a, you know, a positive this, this past weekend. But it's such a small sample size too, right? It's it's two drives and and the fact that Bigsby was still working in there on that small sample size um and of and eating into the the snaps for uh ETN who they probably knew was only going to play the first two drives is still not great for for Travis ETN. So I, I'm with you. I think Tank Bigsby you can't ignore him um at the very least if you're into Travis ETN. So um, definitely potential there for for Bigsby to continue carrying some fantasy value um, as we see these these snaps scale up into the regular season. So um, definitely good call out there uh, on uh, from that game. Staying with the running backs, uh, we'll go to Chicago. Um, we know Khalil Herbert pretty much has the RB one role locked in, but we got to see all three of these guys um this preseason what uh what was the the usage like at least from this past weekend with uh with the bears running backs yeah so roshan johnson who started the preseason pretty low down the depth chart i think he was fourth if you considered all the players who were and weren't playing in those games uh so johnson worked his way up from fourth to having some snaps with the starters uh, the first two drives we saw harbert play first and second down and then johnson would come in on third down and then the third drive, it was Deonta Foreman who came in. So at this point, it's pretty clear to me that Johnson should be getting picked before Foreman, you know, just because Johnson has that upside to uh, get more involved as the season progresses, just because he's a rookie and we don't know what he will do. And we consistently see rookies see more playing time as season progresses, particularly at running back. So the fact that Johnson could have the third down role right now um, is pretty big for him and he should get at least a little bit more work on early downs as the season progresses. Um, this is also pretty big because it means any of the other running backs that we aren't talking about um, in Chicago might not make the roster since the other running backs were more receiving backs. And if Johnson has emerged as a third down receiving back, then they only need these th running backs on the roster. They don't need anyone else part of the rotation. So in general, that's a little helpful to all the running backs, but it's also worth noting that this is 
just a couple drives that we saw out of them, a couple plays for them in general. So it could just be trying to get Johnson a little bit of work with the starters as well. Um, like you said, Herbert's still the clear guy to target in Chicago, but if he's not playing on third downs, then that's a little bit concerning. He should still get plenty of work in the run game, but limits his passing upside a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought this was really interesting. Like, like if if Roshan Johnson does get that kind of third down um, back role, you know, he's not a guy that had like a elite receiving profile coming out of Texas by any means, but. You know, we know that he's been efficient with his opportunities, you know, going back to college, even even on a limited sample size. So I think there could be maybe looking at ways to get him on the field more often. And, and you know, even with Khalil Herbert on the team and, and being the RB1, you know, they may like the talent for Roshan Johnson enough to try to find scenarios that to, to work him into the game. So just because he isn't you know this elite receiving back or wasn't um coming into the nfl doesn't mean he can't potentially get there and and not even to say that he has to be elite but just to be better than than what he was at it and so i think that's really interesting that the the usage shook out this way for for this last preseason game but like you said maybe it's just part of the preseason plan and we'll see what happens in the regular season but um at least something encouraging there for for roshan johnson johnson which was nice to see yeah, it's worth noting as well, if Johnson sees his role increase throughout the season, it could be Foreman that loses those snaps rather than Herbert losing the snap. So it could become a two-man backfield rather than a three-man backfield, which is why Herbert moves down a little bit. But I'm not overly concerned because I would expect Foreman to be the one to lose snaps if Johnson sees an increase more than anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that makes sense for sure. Um, All right, let's go to another running back situation in Buffalo. So we finally got to see Damien Harris um, on the field for the first time this preseason for the Bills. Uh, What did we see from the the Buffalo backfield this week? And and is it concerning for, for James Cook at all? Um, We saw a little bit of concerning news for Cook with Harris back. Um, What we basically saw was Cook take a lot of snaps to start the drives and then Harris come in to finish the drives, um, which we could see a lot this season as well, just since Buffalo should have plenty of long drives that end up in touchdowns. So it kind of makes sense to have Cook to be the player on the field for most of the drive and then Harris come in and potentially be the one to score the touchdowns, which he did in this game. So we, I think this is, looks pretty similar to what I would expect in the regular season of Cook's going to see the vast majority of the carries, vast majority of receiving work, but he could lose out at the touchdowns, which would make sense for both Harris um, and the other running backs on on Latavius Murray. I was escaping me for a second, but Latavius Murray, who didn't play in this game, both Murray and Harris probably make more sense to use at the goal line than Cook. So I think it'll be a case where we see plenty of volume out of him. He can probably be a fantasy starter, but it'll probably be hard for him to reach top 10 running back potential without getting that goal line work. Right. Yeah. Still expected bigger workload, obviously for James Cook this season, which will be nice. But yeah, this this does make sense. You know, Damian Harris is slightly bigger back than Cook. Um, but it's this is also a guy that had what 15 touchdowns in, in 2021 with the Patriots, um, where he was third among all running backs in, in the amount of goal to go carries um that season as well. So it's not an unfamiliar role for him. Um, uh, but like you said, certainly caps that that touchdown potential for Cook and, and could hurt his chances of like you said, getting into that top 10 range as well. So um, let's look at one more running back situation. And this is the Kansas City Chiefs, where we also got to see for the first time this preseason, uh, one of their running backs, and that is Isaiah Pacheco. Isaiah Pacheco is the first Kansas City Chiefs running back being drafted right now for the most part. What did we see from him? and, And should we still be drafting him as the first guy? So Kansas City uh, only used their starting running backs for six plays. Uh, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire took the first two plays. Jarek McKinnon came in on third down, had a big catch. Isaiah Pacheco came in for two plays. McKinnon came in for another third down. And then that was it for those three running backs for the rest of the game. So pretty clear that those three remain at the top of the depth chart. Um, I'm not all that concerned about Pacheco uh, being the second running back on early downs rather than the first one, just because he's been out with injury for so long. So it's not surprising that Edwards Alaire is the starter at the moment. Um, it also wouldn't be all that surprising if Edwards Alaire was the starter in week one, just because 
the game's only in a little more than a week away. So um, it's possible that Pacheco's not quite at 100%, just at a point where he's ready to play. So expect Pacheco to take over as a start at some point in the season, early in the season. But I probably don't want him in my starting lineup week one, just because we could see a bit more rotation in week one than we would usually see. Yeah, I think that I think that's uh, that's the way to look at it because yeah, I mean he could still very well emerge as that um, RB one for the Chiefs pretty early, as early as week two maybe. But like you said, I'm I'm out on week one as well, and um, you know there's there's other running backs too that I I kind of find interesting in that range where he's going near the end of the sixth, early seventh round in in most redraft leagues. Guys like Javante Williams and and DeAndre Swift and even James Cook, who who we talked about as well, I think have maybe higher upside than Pacheco as well. So it just potentially adds to some of the risk there. And, and maybe it's the shoulder injury, like you said, but I think there are, like you said, Jarek McKinnon um, getting the passing down work could be, could be a, a huge hit to, to Pacheco's value as well. So um, I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm cautious of Pacheco. He's not been somebody that I I've been targeting that, that often this season. Yeah, I would say outside of the injury, like like you said, some of those guys you mentioned have higher upside. I think Pacheco's relatively safe for the running backs picked in that range just because we knew he wasn't going to get the receiving work. We knew Jarek McKinnon was going to be the receiver, so that wasn't a surprise. We're getting Pacheco because he's going to get double-digit carries each week um, and perform well in Kansas City's offense when the defenses are always preparing for a pass and they will be ahead late in plenty of games. So that means more rushing in the second half of games. So we know pretty much what he's going to do. He's going to get double-digit carries. He had a lot of yards, score some touchdowns in there. Not going to be a top 10 running back most likely, but can be in your starting lineup most weeks. So other guys do have more upside, but as long as Pacheco is healthy and a hundred percent in a couple weeks, then I think you're fine having him in your starting lineup. So just depends what you're looking for in that second running back pick. If you want someone who's more boomer bust or you want someone that you can just trust to put in your lineup. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's take a quick ad break again. Uh, and this is DraftKings. This season, DraftKings has launched the largest best ball tournament in DraftKings history. Right now, you can enter into DraftKings best ball tournament for a shot at over $10 million in guaranteed cash prizes. Make your entry into the draft today. Sit back, relax, and enjoy the NFL season without having to worry about managing your roster, waiver wires, and more. To start playing best ball, download the DraftKings app using code PFF, enter DraftKings best ball millionaire contest, and and snake draft your team for the season. Each week, you'll automatically rack up points from all your top scorers. No ads, drops, trades, or I should have played him instead. Teams with the most points by the end of the season will have a shot to take home the $1 million top prize. So what are you waiting for? Head to the DraftKings app and sign up with code PFF and start playing best ball today. Join the DraftKings $10 million best ball tournament only on DraftKings with code PFF. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Age and eligibility restrictions apply. Void where prohibited. See DraftKings.com for details. All right, let's stay in Kansas City, but move away from the running backs and we'll start talking about their wide receiver rotation. Nate, what did we see in preseason week three? And is there a Kansas City wide receiver worth trusting to start in week one? So we again saw just those six snaps out of the starters, but we did see some interesting stuff out of the Kansas City wide receivers and how they were used. Um, the only one that I can be confident is going to be starting week one is Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Um, he was among the veterans who had the day off, and they only had a couple of players that they had had get the day off, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey among them. So Valdez-Scantling being considered among those veterans, definitely a good sign that he will see significant playing time. But he also saw significant playing time last year. He's a high average depth of target player who's not going to see a high target share. So we know exactly what we're getting out of him. Not someone that you want in your fantasy starting lineup, but can definitely have him in a DFS for potential big plays. Outside of that, we saw Sky Moore and Justin Watson. Both of these players started throughout the preseason. So Sky Moore has been the one to draft from this team, and that continued in this game. Uh, the only concern is Kadarius Tony could be back, and Tony could be taking snaps away from Moore, more so than any other wide receiver. So it'll be really interesting to see how things look with Tony back. Um, the big thing that was interesting in this game is that it was Richie James who started as the third wide receiver, um, played all of the three wide receiver snaps in the 
first drive. Uh, it was Justin Ross who received one snap on the drive rather than Rasheed Rice. Uh, Rice only played with the second team in this game. So the fact that James saw all of the work with the first team and Rice saw none of the work with the first team is a little bit concerning about Rice at the moment. Um, that means that he is theoretically sixth on the depth chart right now uh rice and ross played significantly with the backups throughout this game where more watson and james all had the day off after that first drive so the fact that rice is sixth on the depth chart uh once tony is back is uh, pretty concerning um we saw a similar thing with sky Moore last year that Moore was fifth on the depth chart at the end of the preseason and he never really worked his way up higher than that throughout the season just because different wide receivers have different roles in the offense so there was nowhere for him to work his way up so definitely probably not drafting rice all that much at this point uh, drafting him really late if possible but uh richie james is probably someone i'd worth consider before rice where I think Moore and Tony are still the only two that I'd really want to draft from this team still though. Yeah. I, I, this, this whole wide receiver rotation is giving me a headache all, all off season really. Cause I, I liked uh, Rashi Rice. I, that, that was the one that I was targeting late. I just thought, you know, he was a great fit for this offense, like just based on his skill set and what he could provide um, for the chiefs. But yeah, this, this is concerning for sure. And it's to the point right now where it's like, I, I don't know that I want, a chiefs wide receiver. I get that the offense, you know, the passing offense specifically is one that you might want to target and, and could hit big with the wide receivers, but it's so hard to trust any of these guys week to week, at least in redraft format where you have to choose to put one of them in your lineup. It could go either way any week. So um, it is good to see at least, you know, some kind of uh, pattern emerging here, at least with Richie James being ahead on the depth chart. Now there, it provides a little bit of clarity there, but it's such, it, I, yeah, I, I could see it changing week to week as well, right? Just depending on on what's going on and, and what the game plan is. So interesting one, but I, I don't know that I'm uh, spending much time trying to find out which which Chiefs wide receiver I'm going to be starting each week only because there's there could be any of them. It really could. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right, let's go. Let's go to uh, the New York Jets where we got to see Aaron Rodgers for the first time as a New York Jet. We got Garrett Wilson in that game as well. Um, Nate, what did the Jets starters kind of show you from this past weekend? Uh, and, and what is their wide receiver rotation starting to look like? Yeah, the Jets wide receiver room got interesting all of a sudden with Corey Davis retiring late last week so that the Jets seemed like they would have a five-person rotation at wide receiver that got down to a four-player rotation. Um, Alan Lazard set out this game, uh, AC joint injury, which he should be fine for week one, so not an issue. So uh, that meant we got uh, Garrett Wilson, Randall Cobb, and Nicole Hardman. And the surprising thing is Cobb started ahead of Hardman, played a lot in two wide receiver sets, which he didn't really do all that much in Green Bay in recent years either. So the fact that Cobb was ahead of Hardman, even though uh, Hardman got more money than Cobb, they both are on one-year contracts. So a little surprising to see Cobb ahead of Hardman on the depth chart at this point. Once Lazard is back, uh, Cobb still could be third with Hardman fourth on the depth chart, which... We should see both of them see significant playing time, but Cobb is not someone that I was putting all that much thought into this year because I just assumed he would be fifth and see a little bit of playing time here and there, but not a ton. But now he could be seeing significant playing time, and that probably doesn't mean much for most leagues, so probably not drafting him. But if Aaron Rodgers starts uh, playing at an MVP level again and he's the third option for him, then there's a chance that Cobb could do some things in fantasy football this season. It's just surprising to see that he got as much playing time as he did yeah it, it's really surprising right like I mean 33 years old too and and outside of a maybe a couple games last year with the Packers he just wasn't really like fantasy relevant so I, I don't know if he's somebody that you'd put into your lineup you know with confidence um in deeper leagues or not I, I personally like it would it, I think if we saw the same kind of usage in favor of Hardman I'd probably feel a little bit better about Hardman um in that in that third wide receiver role um after Alan Lazard if he's once he gets back in the lineup because yeah, I just feel like there would be maybe less concern of a rotation with Hardman as the starter versus Cobb as the starter, right? Where they can maybe use those guys um, interchangeably, but Hardman may be able to to stay in there a little bit longer just a, a, as a younger player and, and, and potentially has a little bit more gas left in the tank than, than what uh, Randall Cobb has shown recently. But 
Aaron Rodgers, Randall Cobb, they have that connection, obviously. So that that does help the situation for Cobb. Um, and and like you said, if we do start to see that come back this year, then they, yeah, there could be something interesting there um, for, for a guy who we did not expect maybe to be fantasy relevant this season. So kind of cool. Yeah. So I moved Lazard up my rankings when Corey Davis retired and he's still up. I moved Hardman up and then back down. And now Cobb's up a little bit. So Cobb, not Cobb and Hardman, both players I'm probably not drafting, but worth keeping an eye on throughout the season. Yeah, definitely. All right, let's look at uh, the Jaguars um, wide receiver usage. So this one, we, we I think we touched on it uh, maybe when we did our preseason week one takeaways. But now that we've got a little bit more of a sample here um, and we've got to see, you know, the Christian Kirks and Zay Jones um, guys play out Calvin Ridley as well. What did uh, what did the Jaguars wide receiver usage look like? Yeah, first off, I'd say this is a good sign of how many teams rested their starters the third week of the preseason because I am surprised that this one made my top 10 cut after (laughs) writing it. But it was just something where we saw such a huge sample size out of plays for the Jacksonville starters this week that um, we saw a little bit more of how they will use their wide receivers. Uh, The first week of the preseason, they only ran, I think it was two snaps out of 12 personnel and Zay Jones played over Christian Kirk on both of those snaps. So that was all the sample we had to work with uh, with there. But they ran a lot more snaps out of 12 personnel, and we saw Jones and Kirk kind of share those snaps. So uh, Calvin Ridley was almost always on the other side, but Jones and Kirk were pretty well split. So we should see similar pass routes out of the two this season. Um, the big difference was 13 personnel, uh, where Zay Jones took all of the snaps there. We saw Zay Jones take a lot of the snaps there last year, as well as Tim Jones. Uh, 13 personnel, more of a run formation, so not a huge thing for fantasy regardless. It just kind of explains why Zay Jones was still seeing significantly more snaps than Christian Kirk in this game, even though the pass routes were pretty similar. So um, all of this just means that Kirk... Um, is going to see a little bit fewer pass routes than he did last year with fewer snaps and 12 personnel, but it's not going to be a hugely significant difference compared to last year. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I think it was worth making it in, into the top 10, right? Just to kind of build on what we already um got from a small sample size, just getting a larger sample size of it, right? It, I think if that usage again this week was maybe a larger sample and it was still showing zay jones dominating that 12 personnel snaps then i think that'd be like a major concern for christian kirk's value um we know the jaguars they were i think top 10 in the league in 12 personnel last season um they were also above league average in pass play percentage out of 12 personnel so that would potentially could have been a big red flag for Christian Kirk, but seeing them split the snaps out of 12 here doesn't really concern me that much for Kirk. I'd still be drafting him as the Jags wide receiver too, where if it did happen that the Jones was dominating those 12 personnel snaps, then I'd consider maybe flipping that or at least passing on Kirk more often to go harder after Jones um, in those later rounds. But this wasn't for me, at least not a big enough hit to Kirk for me in, in what should still be a very good passing offense this year with, with year three of, of Trevor Lawrence and year two of Doug Peterson. So um, I thought that was promising. So that was, that was nice to see. Yeah. The nice thing with Kirk and Jones is, you know, Kirk's going to be playing in the slot all the time. Jones will be playing out wide all the time. So throughout the season, you can play matchups a bit more with these wide receivers than a lot of other teams that move players around a lot more than Jacksonville will end up moving their players around. So the matchups will matter a little bit more for Jacksonville than other teams. So you can draft Kirk and Jones, maybe not to be your fantasy starters, but to potentially start them some weeks where they have a good matchup. Yeah, that's a good call. All right. Our next partner is AG1, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. I have been drinking it every day and I certainly need it because I'm not the most uh, healthiest person possible as far as my diet goes. So quite frankly, I could definitely stand to be healthier in general. And AG1 is essentially exactly what I was looking for uh, as something quick and easy that I could build into my diet where I didn't have to worry about taking so many supplements and pills and all that fun stuff. I wanted a single solution that supports my entire body and covers my nutritional bases every day. Wanted better gut health, a boost in energy, immune system system support and wanted a supplement that actually tastes great. I throw my AG1 into a fruit smoothie every morning, start the day off with everything I need for my body, like I'm giving my body the nutrition it craves. So again, as someone who can't be alone in wanting to improve their health and has a difficult time doing so when it comes to overall diet, 
Adding AG1 to my day has been a game changer in that regard as I get 75 high quality ingredients that give me key daily nutrients and support energy, focus, strength, and clarity. I just mix one small scoop with my smoothie, drink it first thing each morning, boom, done. It's as simple as that. Another added bonus is that it costs less than $3 a day, which is pretty good if you ask me. It's a really, really effective daily habit with high quality sourced ingredients. It's a win-win. So if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash PFF. That's drinkag1.com slash PFF. Okay, so that was wide receivers. Let's talk about the tight ends. And we finally got to see Dawson Knox and Dalton Kincaid together this week in Buffalo. Nate, what did the usage look like uh, with the Bills tight ends? Sure. First off, the most positive thing out of this situation is we saw the Bills line up the tight ends everywhere. We saw Kincaid line up out wide with Knox in the in line, we saw him in the slot. We saw him as a traditional tight end with Knox lined up in the slot. Um, earlier in the preseason, we saw them both lined up in traditional tight end positions a bit more. So the fact that they're using Kincaid in so many different positions already is a good sign that that will continue on into the regular season. Um, we did see them rotate in and out of the game a lot. In 11 personnel, they were pretty well split in how often it was Knox on the field, how often it was Kincaid on the field. Uh, the big difference is whenever Kincaid was the one on the field, they were passing the ball, where whenever it was Knox on the field, they were doing some combination of passing and running. So this resulted in Kincaid being on the field for 10 of the 15 pass routes uh, when the two tight ends were rotating in and out. So 66%, which isn't a great amount for a tight end that you want to be a fantasy starter. Um, the closest situation I could think of was Juwan Johnson, who with New Orleans, they like to rotate their tight ends in and out a lot. And then what? how Johnson was a fantasy starter last year was he scored a lot of touchdowns. He scored uh, seven, which was tied for third or fourth most for tight end. So uh, we could very well see a similar thing with Kincaid this year where he's running two-thirds of the routes and then scoring a lot of touchdowns and sets. Probably one of the areas where he's best suited to help the offense. And unlike the Saints, the Bills have one of the most high-powered offenses in the league, so they should be scoring more touchdowns than what the Saints were scoring last year. So I think definitely still some promise that he can be a top 10 fantasy tight end. I think he's going to need to start uh, taking a higher percentage of the snaps and higher percentage of the routes in order to reach that top five, which we're all hoping for. But even at this usage, he can be a fantasy starter tight end at times, which so it could be better, but it could be worse at this point. Sure. Yeah. And, and again, you know, it's a preseason, it's, it's small sample size stuff, but I think, like you said, it's promising at least that as far as route participation goes, Kincaid did play more than, than Dawson Knox in that regard, 67 to, to 53%. So that was nice to see. Um, and, and yeah, pretty much in line with, with his route participation, I think from last week as well, uh, Kincaid, I think he was 67% even, even last week as well. So could be something similar, at least to start the year, but I, I think he's, he has also a potential to grow um, his role as the weeks go on as well. And if he looks as good as, as what they think he could be. So um, I think there's, there's still some, some silver linings to take out of that, even though it's not ideal usage, there's still potential there for Kincaid to emerge as, as a um, fantasy relevant weekly starter uh, at tight end. Yeah. Uh, going back to the Jaguars wide receivers for a second, why I was like, do I have this in my top 10, even though it doesn't really affect the rankings? This was a case where like, I didn't really move Kincaid up or down my rankings, uh, Knox as well. But it was just interesting to see on a larger sample that things were working out more or less how we were expecting them to work out at this point in the season. Yeah, good point. That's true too. Um, all right. Yeah, let's do let's do let's keep talking about tight ends here because in Carolina, we did get to see uh Hayden Hurst again for the third preseason game. He had some pretty promising usage through the first two games. What uh what did it look like here in preseason week three? Oh uh, yeah, it was a little bit concerning in that they rotated him out a little more. Uh, Carolina's been nice in that they play plenty of snaps with the starters throughout the preseason. So we've gotten a pretty decent sample size. Uh, Knox played in 16 of the 22 snaps that Bryce Young was in for uh, 12 of the 16 uh, pass plays. So still pretty high, but it was more in line than what 
with what we saw in Cincinnati rather than the first two weeks where he was playing roughly 100% of the snaps and 100% of the pass routes. So a little bit of a step back there. And then also concerning is he's really hasn't been targeted much in the preseason. I saw one target for a five-yard reception in the first week, and that's been his only target to this point. So the fact that Carolina has played so many plays makes it a little concerning that he hasn't been targeted very much. I know most of the time you can't make huge conclusions because you're talking about maybe a dozen or so plays. So just one more target here or there could have made the difference. But here, even if he had one or two more targets, he would still be at a pretty low percentage of targets per route run. So a little concerning for me that he's, that Bryce Young is throwing so much to the wide receivers and not so much to Hurst. So uh, he was one of my sleepers at this point. I'm probably more avoiding him just because he's not getting the targets, even though he's getting a good amount of playing time. But if he's not getting thrown to, and if the offense isn't going to be that great to begin the season, it's hard to see him hit that upside, even though he should still be top 20 in fantasy points. But you really want someone who's top 10 in fantasy points, not top 20. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that that's an issue for sure. And, and yeah, I had him as a sleeper as well. And look, I mean, he, he still had over 70 percent route participation, like through those first two drives. And um, uh, Ian Thomas, who, who was who was the guy that was coming in as well, he, he stayed in the game after Hurst was done for the day as well and just kind of stuck to that limited role, even if even if it was Tommy Tremble in the game at tight end. So I, I don't know. I, I mean, if deeper leagues, I still might take the chance on Hurst just because that those first two weeks usage was pretty strong and it was kind of a mishmash of starters this week so you know playing vets in, in limited roles um potentially maybe just for the reps um but yeah I don't know that I, I want to see it week one definitely not somebody that I want to start week one but there there's I still kind of believe in the potential just based on the other receiving options in this offense that that Hurst could emerge with some kind of role that that's fantasy relevant. But yeah, like you said, it it it's not uh, not as promising as it as it was earlier in the in the off season here. Yeah, he was someone where he just had to hit a couple of boxes in order to work out. He needed yeah. the playing time, he needed the targets, and he needed the team to do well. Uh, he's getting the playing time, even though it wasn't as promising as the last few weeks. The targets is a huge thing and then we just don't know how good the offense will do so it's even going to be harder for him to check the boxes than it was earlier yeah for sure all right let's do one more tight end here uh and let's go to chicago where cole Komet, who just signed a new contract extension there must mean that he's going to be a bigger part of the offense so what did we see uh in preseason week three with cole Komet? He's a similar tight end where he's going to see the clear majority of the playing time, but needs a lot of things to go right for for him to be a fantasy starter. Um, He was still playing 100% of snaps in 11 and 12 personnel. Um, The big thing in this game is this was the first time that we saw all of Chicago's tight ends uh, healthy and playing in the same game. That's Robert Tanyan and Mercedes Lewis. Uh, both coming over from the Packers and uh, reuniting with the offensive coordinator there in Chicago. So um, we, the big thing in this game is in 21 personnel, Mercedes Lewis played in two of the three snaps, which that was kind of his role in Green Bay was to play in more run situations. But the concerning thing there is Komet played pretty well in 21 personnel last year. Um, he was the only tight end with over 100 yards and multiple touchdowns in 21 personnel. So if he's losing those snaps, that's losing some opportunities for him to score touchdowns and catch passes, which he really needs to have those opportunities that he saw last year and the combination of him and Justin Fields play better in order for him to be a fantasy starter. So now he both needs to be playing better with Fields as well as overcoming potentially fewer routes run, even though it might not be a huge amount of routes run that he's losing. It's still a little bit. And when we're talking about these sleeper tight ends, every little bit counts. Yeah, I'm with you. I think for this like situation specifically, it feels like slightly more concerning um, than, than maybe some of the other ones because Chicago actually brought in this potential competition for tight end snaps this offseason. Um, and like you mentioned, that was a decent sized part of, of Komet's game last year and already playing on a slightly limited offensive upside passing attack you know depending on what this team looks like this year um if if Justin Fields can take that step forward I think he can but then 
like you said, you also got DJ Moore coming in to be the team's new leading target earner, which was Komet last year. Uh, it's just less, you know, to like in this case, I guess, for for Cole Komet. So um, definitely somebody that that I feel like a fairly limited option, you know, maybe could be a, a weekly streamer or, you know, in a pinch type situation, but not somebody that I feel overly comfortable with as a weekly starter. That's for sure. Exactly. All right, that is going to wrap up our preseason takeaways, not just for today, but for 2023. Um, as the preseason is done and we can now uh, turn our attention to the regular season where fantasy points finally start to count. Um, I hope you'll all join us for what should be a great year, getting you all the best information available to dominate your fantasy leagues. Nate, the fantasy portion ends here. The preseason has ended as well, but that's not all. You're losing your five game losing streak in our head to head drafts also came to an end last week with you winning the star Wars character draft. Um, your plan to tank for the number one pick in that one certainly paid off. So how are you feeling now about that losing streak ending? Uh, it's good to have that over with and to get to start a new, try to get a win streak going so I can try to catch back up in the total win totals with you. Nice. <laughs> yeah. It's uh it, it was uh it was a good one last week, and I just had a feeling like that 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 first overall pick was going to make or break yeah. me. And and yeah, you, you nailed the first pick. So so credit to you for that one. Um, and today, look, we we've done the characters uh, or the colored characters draft before, so we're drafting the best red characters now. I think we did blue and green previously. Yep. So yeah, some decent options here. Um, I have the first overall pick because I lost. Um, so I. I don't know. I was a little bit undecided with my first overall pick, but I feel like I feel like I have to go Spider-Man here. Um, just as far as like the red suit goes, you, you, you picture Spider-Man. I know he had the black suit for a short period of time, but traditional Spider-Man is that red suit at, that everybody recognizes. So for me, I, I think that's got to be my my first overall pick, uh, Spider-Man. If you wait another like decade from now, it might be the black suit that's most well known with Miles Morales taking That's over true. as the more well-known Spider-Man. So it might not be as associated with red in the future. Wow. Um, this one was definitely interesting since blue and green, we got to stick largely to characters that had blue skin or green skin. Yeah. And I wanted to do that with red, but it became much harder to do that. So I think I'm going to go your route and go with a character that's just largely associated with the color red and wears red rather than has red skin. I'm going to go with Mario from the video games. Um, I feel like there are a number of superheroes that wore red. So I was kind of going back and forth between Mario and Spider-Man of which one I would have wanted had I had the first overall pick. But I think with so many superheroes wearing red, I'm happy to get the one video game character that is most well-known for wearing the color red yeah, and most well-known video game character, period, probably. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, this this was tough because I, I was I was trying to think of red characters and then I even ended up Googling it and I was like, there's not really like that are like actually like a red skin color or anything. So it did basically come down to a lot of costume color for me. So um, and there's yeah, there's definitely a lot of uh, a lot of comic ones. And then maybe that that maybe that ends up being my entire strategy here because um, my second overall pick uh, for uh red character i'm gonna go with the flash i'm, I'm going with the flash he's, he's one of my favorite characters of all time uh dc hasn't really let me down in these head-to-head -head battles just yet so just gonna keep sticking with it get i already got spider-man in there so gonna mix it up get some marvel and some dc and uh, i'll go with the flash well this is sometimes worked sometimes hasn't worked but i have largely stuck with marvel when i've done these things and i am happy to get at least one Marvel character with this list. And I think even though there's a couple options to go for here, I'm going to go with the Scarlet Witch, um, especially with her popularity in the past couple of years with WandaVision and Doctor Strange, um, having a definitely unique character since some of the other red characters looks kind of sort of similar. If you didn't know superheroes, uh, you might be able to confuse some of them with the others, but you're not going to confuse Scarlet Witch with anyone. So happy to get Scarlet Witch second round. Nice. Yeah. Scarlet Witch is a great character. Uh, um, wow. Okay. So yeah, I, I'm per, I, you know what, I don't want to say my strategy, but my strategy might end up, it really may be just, just, uh, just comic book characters because my, my third pick I'm going with, uh, I'm going with Iron Man. So if we're going to, if, if we're going to use, um, red characters, Iron Man, that, that, 
hot rod red um as tony stark would call it uh that is that that counts for me uh hopefully it counts for you as well because yeah it's predominantly a red suit but iron man it counts well enough for me hopefully it might not count for the voters but we'll see how the voters decide to play things out um even though you said your strategy i did have two superheroes as the next people on my list so i'm not just accounting for your strategy on my list this person was next and that is deadpool um another one that is uh, entirely red suit and with the deadpool movie hopefully coming out next year with everything with the strikes and whatnot but hopefully we see a new deadpool sooner rather than later and it could be among the better trilogies that we've seen true yeah that, that was a good call it was between deadpool and iron man for me the last one um yeah the deadpool's a good one i think people like that one um all right you know what i do have one character on here that i guess isn't a comic book character well he's been in comic books but um it's not typically known for a comic book and it's it's somebody that has red skin as well so i'm gonna go darth maul um from from star wars i think darth maul is uh is a strong star wars character he was almost on my list um last week as well like i had considered him just not because of the phantom menace but because of all his other um lore i guess in, in the star wars world in into the tv series and everything like that i still really like him so darth maul it is there i think i do have to get one character that has red skin rather than just red costumes for all of this I did my research, and when I did research for green and blue, there was a huge consensus over the top couple at each one. Red, there was no consensus whatsoever because people had different definitions of if you had to have red skin or if you just had to be associated with the color red. But the one character that I was consistently seeing on each of these lists and pretty high on these lists was Mr. Krabs from SpongeBob. (laughs) So going to go with Mr. Krabs (laughs) as my fourth pick. Oh my God. That's funny. I, I, I honestly, I, I don't know enough SpongeBob to know who that is, but I'm going to Google it after so I can see. He's but, the crab that's red. He's the crab that's he red. He owns well, the that, crusty crab. Okay. Okay. And uh, you know what? People love SpongeBob and obviously there's yep. a million memes that come from SpongeBob. So that, that could be enough to actually get the win there. So nice pick. Um, damn. All right. Well, I'm going to go my last pick. I, I'm going to go right back to the comic book. Well, um, I've got all comic book heroes. I got one villain in Darth Maul. I'm going to try to even it out a little bit more with another villain. Um, and I'm going to choose Carnage from the, the Spider-Man, um, universe, well, Marvel universe, but mostly known as the Spider-Man villain, uh, the red symbiote, uh, Carnage and Cletus Cassidy is, uh, yeah, my next pick. A little disappointing that you didn't go Daredevil with any of these because I consider Daredevil pretty high, but I had to save this one for my last pick. I'm going with the red Power Ranger for my last one. (laughs) Uh, Picking Power Rangers hasn't necessarily helped me at times in the past, but today is the 30th anniversary of the first episode of Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So to honor the 30th anniversary, I have to pick the red Power Ranger. Wow, that's that's a strategy right there, because now I'm going to have to type in Red Power Ranger in the thing and it's going to start trending um, and you're going to get the Power Ranger votes um, for anybody exactly. that's searching. I'm just going to type Red PW and and and, and try to rig it a little bit <laughs> um, or PR. Wow, I don't even know how to yeah, spell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> That is going to do it. So we got, I got Spider-Man, The Flash, Iron Man, Darth Maul, and Carnage. And you have Super Mario, Scarlet Witch, Deadpool, Mr. Krabs, and the Red Power Ranger. It's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one again. I'm looking forward to it. I don't think I've lost the the color characters yet. So this will be a test for sure. Um, but that is going to do it for another episode of the PFF Fantasy Podcast. Thank you all so much for tuning in. Thank you to Nate as well for breaking it all down with me. Um, again, with another week of football in the books, even though it's just the preseason, that doesn't change how hard the great PFF data collection team works to get this information turned around and out there for the public. So massive shout out to the best data collection squad in the multiverse. They are a huge part of why PFF continues to be far and away the best football data resource available. Nate, speaking of great football resources, it's a big week here at PFF, so let the people know what to expect from you this week on on the site. Sure. So today we've had preseason recaps. We had the Sunday night recap. We had the recap article with all 16 games from this past week together, as well as the top 10 recap, which we just went through. 
I also compiled 500 stats to know on fantasy football. I went through all of my articles from this past summer, pulled out my favorite 500 stats, put that together in one article. Um, Also updated my top 400 PPR rankings. So that went out late last night. Um, An updated draft strategy for 12 team leagues, uh, which impacted some of the early rounds as well with some uh, ADPs changing recently. So that impacted some of the strategy there. Um, This week, I've been doing a lot of uh, going position by position and updating my past articles. So today was update to my quarterback rankings, quarterback draft strategy, quarterback league winners, quarterback sleepers, and quarterback breakouts. So that's all today. Uh, Tomorrow, have top five breakouts and then tight end ranking draft strategy, league winners, breakouts, and sleepers and potentially reacting to any of the big news with cutdown day tomorrow. And then once cutdown day, the dust has settled there, we'll have new updated rankings with all the updated rosters, as well as updated depth charts for all of the teams. Nice. Yeah, man, that's, that's quite a bit. I can't wait to read that the 500 stats for, for this season. I'm going to like lay down on the couch and just read that for the night. So that'll be my, my, my nighttime activity tonight. So looking forward to that as well. Um, For me, I've updated all my rankings and tiers articles as well. They'll all publish throughout this week. So quarterbacks, running backs, uh, wide receiver, tight end linebackers, defensive linemen, defensive backs for those IDP leagues. Um, writing up some super flex draft strategy pieces as well. Uh, Nate's done all the, the draft strategy articles this, this year picks one to three, four to six, all of that. So I'll be doing the same thing now for, for super flex picks one to three, four to six, seven to nine and 10 to 12 as well. Um, and then, yeah, that we'll be back again tomorrow talking more fantasy football. We're going to probably wait until after all the cutdowns are done. Um, so that way we can talk about those as well at the top of the episode for tomorrow's episode. So looking forward to that. We will be back again. Um, so hope you'll all tune in for that. And until next time, peace out.